0: Good morning, everybody. I think that all of us in this room would probably admit to some time in our life, whether it be today or years ago, to being in the wrong spot at the wrong time. Kind of like that moment that you sit down on that lawn chair that decides that you're the lucky person that it's going to break on. That's kind of the wrong spot, kind of at the wrong time, kind of moment. But let me ask you this question Have you ever been in the right spot? at the right time, where you had the right resources and the right talent for the right situation. It kind of worked out in this way. In March of 2014, there was a young Californian couple who was moving their box spring out of their house when they noticed from their apartment door children throwing toys out the third-story window. They thought, that is odd, and it quickly escalated as one of of the three-year-old toddlers decided he was going to go out the window to chase down one of his toys. And so they saw this child lose his balance and begin to dangle from the window. And at that moment, they took their box ring and threw it underneath the child on the third-story window and they watched that this young boy fell to the ground, hitting some cable wires as he came down, and he fell right into the young husband's arms, who used the box spring and himself to cushion the fall of this toddler. They both escaped unharmed. Kind of a terrifying story if you have young children, emotional and scary, but these, this couple was in the right spot at the right time with the right resource. Now, what if I told you that every day of your life, you are most likely facing an opportunity where you could be in the right spot with, at the right time, with the right resources. Not because you're carrying a box spring around, but because of God's investment in your life. God's story within you, God's resources in you. Would you believe me in that? Today, we want to speak towards this thought as we open up a parable in the Gospel of Matthew we want to leave today and try to understand better the investments that God makes in our lives and how we leverage them to build the kingdom of God here on earth. Last week Chad very eloquently and I'll just say I've really enjoyed Chad over the last couple of weeks in a personal note, he laid out essentially this question, are you ready? Like do you know that we're not promised tomorrow? Are you confident in your dutifulness to the Father? What we want to do is to kind of flow into that same vein today of being ready as we look at this parable. But we also want to bring in this issue of stewardship that we see present in this parable and kind of expand upon it. What we want to accomplish is to look at the story, really identify who the master is in it, who the servants are, the differences between those servants... Then we want to bring stewardship in and talk about how we utilize the investments that God makes in our lives. And I want to leave you with three practical things that I hope will establish some rhythm in your life in this area. So let's go ahead. We're going to look at the the gospel of Matthew 25, chapter 25, verse 14. We're going to read a, a parable called the parable of the hidden talent. Okay, and I'm not talking about your ability to like, wiggle your ears or anything like that. It's much deeper than that. Uh, to bring some context in this, this parable flows right out of another parable where Jesus is speaking to the people around him saying like, hey, you will not know the day or the hour in which the master returns. Which he is saying like, you are not going to know when I come back. As a Christian, we believe that Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth. And he is saying... You will not know when I come back. Just be watchful and waiting. So listen, if you ever hear somebody saying they know the exact time, date, that Jesus is coming back, they are a fool. And they are contradicting Scripture. Do not believe them. But we're going to bring this emphasis of being ready into this parable as we look through the Gospel of Matthew uh, in chapter 25 today. So let's jump in together here. Kind of a lengthy piece of Scripture, so try to pay attention as best you can. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you have delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set over you much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had two talents came forward, saying, "'Master, you delivered to me two talents. "'Here I have made two talents more.' "'And he said, "'Well done, good and faithful servant. "'You have been faithful over a little. "'I will set you over much. "'Enter into the joy of your master.' "'And he who also received the one talent "'came forth, saying, "'Master, I knew you to be a hard man, "'reaping where you did not sow "'and gathering where you scattered no seed. "'So I was afraid, "'and I went and hid your talent in the ground. "'Here you have what is yours.' But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather seed where I, or scattered where no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one that has ten talents for to everyone who has Will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, let's take some time to kind of clarify some of the imagery and the words that we see in this. Oftentimes, most of the times, when Jesus is speaking of a parable, he's using a lot of symbolic language. So understand this. When Jesus is referring to the master in this story, he is making a reference to himself. Jesus is the object, the the master in this story. The servants are those who follow him. And so we know those who follow Jesus are Christians. And so the servants here are Christians. He is our master and we are his servants. And now look, I know that language of having a master can put some people off. But do not fool yourself into believing that you don't serve a master, whether it's Christ or not. We all are slaves to something, whether that is success or money or accolades or popularity, acclaim, whether it's autonomy or control or comfort. We all serve something. We are all masters or all slaves to something. And that is the product of a broken world living in the context of a a broken heart living in the context of a broken world when that perfect relationship that we had with God was severed we lost a piece of ourselves and out of that void we become constant pursuers of the next great thing that we feel like will make us feel whole again whether that is Christ or not and so we understand today And many of us in this room know the wholeness that Christ brings to life. Maybe not always perfectly lived out, but the wholeness that Christ brings. And so yes, we get to say that Christ is my master and I am his servant because we have tasted the world and we know that this, this is better. And so from there, the parable kind of talks about the master entrusting his servant this property. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to another still he gave one talent. Now note whose property this is. It is the master's property. The servants receive all that they have from the master. And this is true for us as well. All that we have is God. It is all his. And so understand this, that the master has given his servants work. There are no idle servants in the kingdom here. All of Jesus' servants have work. And so this parable would lead us to this understanding that to, to be lethargic in the kingdom of God, and when we talk about the kingdom of God, what we're talking about is this, the realm of God, okay? He's just going to establish a kingdom on earth someday, but this is in God's realm. To be lethargic with what He has entrusted us with is to profess unbelief in our hearts. It's to profess unbelief in our hearts. So according to our abilities... We are seeded an investment in differing amounts. We see five, two, and one. And just to clarify what a talent is in this parable, a talent is uh, is a value of currency, but it also is a unit of measurement. And so we would see in this scripture that a talent in this day and age, in this culture, a talent would be worth somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 years working wage for an individual. Like, this is not flipping nickels and quarters at his servants. This is a generous investment. And then when you think of five talents, that's a hundred years of a working wage. How would you like to have that dropped into your lap? So when you understand the scale of the investment of what each person is getting, we can approach this idea in the realm of fairness. Is it fair for one person to receive five and one person to receive one? I mean, doesn't Christ love us equally? Yes, and that is why he gives us what we can handle because don't forget that a talent is not just currency but is a unit of measurement and a talent in this day and age would uh, weigh in the neighborhood of 75 pounds, 75 pounds. So we see that the greater the investment, the more weight that those who had the investment have to carry. The few servants who got a lot, yeah, they got a lot but now they have to carry a lot more. So what do you want to base your issues with fairness on? On the amount of the investment or on the weight of the investment. Because the bigger the, the bigger the investment in this parable, the more responsibility those who have it have to carry it. In Luke 12, Jesus says on the back end of verse 48, He says, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. We have to remind ourselves of what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Corinthians. He compares the body of Christ, the church, to a human body, that we are all different makeups. All of us are different parts. Some of us are eyes, and maybe we get more attention. Some of us are hands, but then some of us are like sternums and peaking toes. But we all work together corporately to provide the most health for the body. Going down a path of trying to understand fairness in the kingdom of God, will not lead you into a positive reality in your life. You should consider more what you have been given and how you will use those things. And we see this as an example here in this parable because what does the master do upon his return? To the ones that he gave an investment and grew the investment, he approaches them with what? Praises and joy. Well done, good and faithful servant. But to the one who hid his talent... The master punishes him and gives the one talent that he had to the one that had ten. Now, this is kind of interesting that he is approaching this one talent with with, uh, rebuke and punishment. Uh, This parable has perplexed me in the past because in my mind, the treatment of the master towards this one last servant confirms that this master is indeed a hard man like this servant said he was. But when we get a deeper understanding of this parable, it paints a different picture. This paints a picture of a man leaving his kingdom that gives a generous investment into each one of his servants. And upon his return, he judges the servants based upon how they used those investment. Nowhere in this parable would you, conf- would you even dream that this master is a hard man besides the testimony of the last servant. Would a hard man give generously this kind of offering to his servants? Would a a harsh man entrust this kind of property to a servant? Would a hard man shower his servants with praises and joy? No, this is not a hard man. This is a generous and gracious and trusting master. So please do not understand in this parable this master to be a hard man. The testimony of the last servant is a testimony of that of a fool who was negligent in his personal responsibility in handling what he was giving, all of which led him to make false accusations against the master. So when you read this, do not think of him as a hard man. And so this parable kind of brings the servants into two different camps. There are three servants, but they're really in just two camps. The first camp are the servants that love and fear the master. And, and the second camp... are are the servants that just fear the master. Now, is it possible to both love and fear somebody at the same time? That's complexity at its best. The Bible would seem to say that we should have both attitudes to God. It says that we should love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, with all of our strength, and with all of our mind. And then Craig talked at the beginning of January that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. These two terms, love and fear, by definition seem to be contradictions, but we know that inside the kingdom of God, in God's realm, they work together quite well. And so I want to bring us into this conversation of love and fear, but I, I want to preface it with something. When we step into this realm I do not want people to ever understand or think that inside the realm of an earthly relationship that it is ever okay to live in fear of somebody but love them at the same time. That's not the kind of love and fear that we're talking about this today. I have read in newspapers, and maybe you have stories that are connected to you, of women who have been beaten by their husband and stay with them because they love them. That is not the type of love and fear we're talking about. That is inexcusable. That is absolutely inexcusable, and we are not talking about that today. If you make somebody live in fear of you because of an abuse, whether it be physical or verbal, that is not honorable. That is cowardly. And if that is ever your reality, you need to talk to somebody. We as a church are here to listen to that. We want to listen to that. But in the kingdom, in God's realm, these two things, love and fear, work together pretty well. And we see this in the two servants that took the investment they had and grew up. They understood the balance in this area. They had gratitude towards the master for the great gifts that they had been given to them. And they trusted their master because of what he has done for them. But they also understood their positioning in that relationship. As good as the master was, he was still their master. And so with that comes a respect and reverence for the master that he gets to do what he wants to do, and that is how love and fear work in God's realm. It's not a terrifying thing. It's not a scary thing. But it is a awe and a reverence and a respect that he gets to do what he wants to do. So let me just say, I was I was talking to a, a friend this week, uh, and I just want to say that this is just another example where the good and right design of Scripture and God provides and produces the most flourishing in life. When you think of healthy relationships in this area of where you have levels, whether it be a boss or an employee or a mom or a daughter or a dad and a son or vice versa, the most healthy relationships that you will see in this sphere are the ones that balance this aspect of love and reverence, this love and respect. I brought this issue to one of my friends. I asked him if he ever had a boss in his life that he loved and feared. And he said, yeah, I, I did. I, I had a boss that was, was firm. He had expectations for me, and he was firm in those expectations. But I knew he had me my back. There was a day in which uh, he went to his superiors, and he fought on behalf of me. I didn't say anything to him, but he told his bosses that you are undervaluing my employee. And he demanded a raise for this man, for my friend, and he got it. And so my friend both loved this guy because he knew he had his back, but he also respected and revered him in his position. He knew that he got to do what he wanted. And it produced this, I want to live up to his expectations. I want to please my boss. These are the most productive and healthy relationships that we will see in this realm. Now, if one or another of these are missing, we see unhealth. If love or this reverence is missing in this kind of leveled relationship, we see unhealth. And look, there are lots of examples that we can probably talk about in this realm, but the one that I see the most unhealth in is in the area of parenting. There are people who are dealing with their brokenness, I get it, and trying to do the best that they can, but they irresponsibly place their identity in their children. And what that tends to create is somebody who is looking to fill this void of being loved through their children. That is that pursuit, that peace that we're missing, working out in our lives. And so what happens is we create a bunch of parents who are just trying to be their kids' friends and not trying to be their parent. They have handed them the control of the relationship. And if you ask these kids in this relationship if they love their parents, what do you think they would say? Absolutely. Why? Who doesn't love to get to do what they want to do? Who doesn't love that? Who doesn't love to be able to dictate what I do when I want to do it? Who doesn't love to be worshiped? But is it healthy? I think that most of us on the surface level would say no to that. I think that we would see that as something that we don't want to do. love with the prop, without the proper understanding, of positioning, without the proper knowledge of the abilities of the person whose authority creates dysfunction. But listen, thank God for the gospel, right that we have this ability to change in our life, that God gets to move us. If this story, if this example, rings true in your life, in your children then maybe we could use some perspective changing in this. Maybe you could allow some hope to come in your life and understand that God will and can move us in this area. And so if this rings a bell to you, just know this. We're rolling out a parenting class here in March. I know that sounds crazy. Maybe it's a risk to step out, but please be vulnerable in this area if you need some help. Look, nobody is surprised when we see a mess in people's life. Haven't we learned that enough as Christians are we surprised at the mess in our lives at times? We should not be. Risk some vulnerability. This literally could be the best thing that you have ever done in your life. And if you're interested in that, let us know our guest service has some information about, about that. On the other side of unhealth, we have relationships that just fear the master. Now the, my same friend who had talked about a boss that he loved and feared, asked him, did you ever have a boss that you just kind of feared? And he said, oh yeah. Yeah, maybe you guys know that kind of guy. And I said, well, tell me about that relationship. And he said, well, I'll tell you this. Build up a lot of resentment towards this person. A lot of resentment. Did not respect him. I grew to be passive aggressive towards him. I didn't work to please him. I worked to spite him. Maybe you know that kind of relationship. Whether it's a boss or a parent who used their authority just to lord it over you. And you know how that resentment could build up In your life. And look, it's understandable for resentment to kind of be built in that kind of relationship. But listen, if in that relationship the authority or the master is good and trusting and generous, and you still have the response of resentment and fear, that is doubly dysfunctional because you have no cause. You have no cause in that. And that's what exactly we see in this parable with the last servant. The servant was more concerned about the wrath that God might or the master might have on him than pleasing the master, even though the master was tremendously generous and trusting of this man. He buried his talent in the ground, which would have been a common practice in this culture, in this time, and he fails to do anything with it because he's more concerned about losing it and being punished for it than taking what he has and investing it and growing it and bringing a greater return for the master. And when the master returns, this fool blames the master for his own inefficiency. He straight up deflects blame and refuses to take his own responsibility or lack of effort in it. Listen to the first words that come out of his mouth in response to his master. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Like, not me. It's you. It's you, master. And maybe we've said this phrase before in our lives or heard this phrase in our lives. And so this parable lends itself to be a warning for those of us who are believers that just view God as something that we possess, or something that we hold on to, or someone to be feared. Listen, our God is not a hard man. He is good. He is generous, and He is trusting. But He also is, and let us not forget, that He is powerful, majestic, and reverence, Do not view him as a God that sits on a throne that just gets pleasure out of making a mess out of your life. He's not a cosmic killjoy. He is rich in mercy and love and has given us what we need and what we are able to handle so that we might invest it in the world around us. Let us not forget in 1 John chapter 4 verses 9 through 10 when it says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins, which means that He is the remedy for our brokenness. He is the one that paid the punishment for our sins. And the fact that His Son came here on earth to die for you is proof of His great love for you. Would a God who hated us do that. Of course not. Of course not. To just fear God is to be negligent of the good gifts that He has given us and the sacrifices that He has made for us. And this parable makes it really clear that if we don't take the investments that God has given us and use them for His purposes to impact the world around us, there is a warning that there is a judgment waiting for us in those things. That God would want to see us use those things. He is an extremely patient, loving, and graceful, and merciful God. But please do not ever confuse our God for a wimp. He is not a wimp. Do not romanticize Him as your boyfriend or your girlfriend. There is an expectation that He has in the things that He has given to us So out of our understanding of His great love and generosity for us, and out of our knowledge of our positioning in that relationship, we live up to the expectations out of reverence and love for the Father, and we take what we are given and we build upon it. And look, I've sort of generalized this idea of investments, the talents that the master has given to the servants. I think it's critical that we get some depth and knowledge of what is happening with these talents. What do the talents symbolize in this parable? What is he trying to say? I think it's best described by another question. What investments does God make in our lives? What are the investments that God makes in our lives? And this is how I would answer that. It's not just money or possessions, but it's understanding that everything that has been given to you, that has shaped you or molded you, is an asset to the Father and His kingdom. Everything that was given, that has shaped you or molded you, is an asset to the Father in His kingdom. It is an investment in your life. Look, most of us in this room know know the struggle of walking through trials and tribulations in our life. Most of us in this room know the unexpected pleasure of unexpected goodness in our life. We know the awesomeness of an answered prayer or the the greatness of a, a redeemed relationship. We know those things. Everything, whether it's money or possessions Something that God has brought you through, an experience that you walk through, a skill set that He has given to you. Everything in our life is an investment or a seed that God wants to use to impact the world around us. Don't just read this parable and think that it's just about growing investments of wealth to impact the kingdom. It's about God growing His story in you to grow it further in the people around you. Last week, I got to introduce two uh, wonderful godly women to each other they, they both lost their husbands and, and one of them was really struggling in that area uh, the other one despite the difficulties of walking through that tremendous uh, just grief uh, has come to a place where she understands that she gets to she gets to invest in other people and help them to overcome and deal with the grief deal with the pain that comes with that And so, friend, I would say to you, please consider your story. What has God brought you through? What has He given to you that He's invested you as part of your story? What is unique to you? What is unique to you? And then put that investment to work. Leverage it for God's purposes here on earth, understanding that He is the master. He gets to do what He wants, and we live out His expectations because of our love and our reverence for Him. And so at the beginning of this time, I, I asked you, would you believe me, that every day of our life, we are most likely given an opportunity to be in the right place at the right time with the right resources. Not because of us, but because of the investments that God has made in our lives. His story growing in us, His resources resources through us. When you understand that the things that you got to go through that are unique to your story, not that God maybe willed them for your life, but He allowed you to go through are the exact pieces that God would want to use to build influence and impact in this world, it has to change our perspective a little bit. Instead of thinking of those hard things or even good things and, and thinking about well, I had to go through that, it kind of changes our perspective to maybe like, I got to go through that. That other people through my story might experience the same goodness that the Father has given to me in their own life. That's the kind of investment that we're talking about. It changes our, our perspective. So what is unique to your story that you can leverage for the kingdom? Are you a widow? Do you have a, sp- a special gift uh, of, of knowledge in an area? Do you have a certain degree? Were, were you divorced at one point? Have you fought through the, the pressure of depression? Were you raised in a home that had a, a great amount of love? Were you raised in a home that had no love? did you did you have an affair do you have a great marriage were you a were you porn addict at any point were you hopeless do you have a skill set of using your hands were you suicidal Were were you a drug addict do you do you have wealth do you do you empathize with people well have you lost a job have you lost a grandparent have you raised a teenager And maybe we're on the other side of those things now and we're just thankful that those things are over. Maybe we're just pleased that we have those things in our life. But are we seeking to take those investments that God has put into our life and leverage them to impact the world around us? Because listen, there is no doubt in my brain that every day we walk around this earth and we're given an opportunity to to be in the right spot with the right people, with the right resources, but we don't engage because we don't believe that the difficulties and the successes in our lives are anything more than just past experience. We do not see them as a seed or investment that the Father would want to use to impact the world around us. We do not see them as that. Listen, as patient and as good and as merciful as He is, God wants us to be good stewards of those things. He wants us to be good servants of His investment. And there, there is an expectation that we do that. So to end our time today, I just want to walk us through three really quick practical ideas that I think will help us grab some rhythm in this area. Uh, the first one. These are just three practical ideas to embrace the meaning of the parable of the hidden talents. Uh, the first one is to grow in your knowledge of a of a God who is both loved and feared. Grow in your knowledge of a, of a God who is both to be loved and feared. Understand what He has done for you, what He has given you. Get acquainted with the rich love of our Father, and and, and understand this: that to, to fear God is not to shrink back in terror. Uh, To fear God is to have a deep reverence for Him, uh, a respect and an awe for His power, majesty, and love. And and only inside the bounds of that kind of relationship will we ever serve and love Him the way that we ought to, okay? The second uh, practical idea in this area is is just to, to get to know your story. Gosh, I have talked to so many of you guys in this crowd. We have incredible stories. And maybe you don't believe that your story is incredible. Maybe your story is, that you've known Jesus your whole life and there's not been a whole lot. Well, praise God. praise. That's, I pray that over my daughter every single night that she would experience his goodness his whole life. But we have some unique stories in here that God has allowed us to go through certain things. He has given us certain things. Get to know your story. What is unique about you that you can leverage to impact the world around you? And the last one, is to simply just to engage. Now look, short of begging you, which I'm not going to do right now, that may be later, uh, I, I cannot plead with you any stronger in this area. Let's not be distracted by the things of this world. Don't be consumed by just accomplishing your own objectives that you miss out on being in the right place at the right time with the right resources because of what God has done in you. Over these last few weeks, uh, we've had a a focus team, a core team of people that kind of represent you, who we've kind of picked out that have kind of different personalities, different stages of life. And, And our mission has been to ignite a passion in our vision, in our ministry here at Life Community Church. And I will tell you this, underneath this surface, there is a bubbling of excitement of the things that we are going to do here. We feel like God has called us to a mission. But listen, None of that will matter if we refuse to engage. None of that will matter. No vision, no passion will matter if we refuse to engage and get out of our own little worlds that is concerned about our own little kingdoms and focus on a bigger kingdom at hand that is God's. And so we want to push all of us to take what God has given us, as difficult as those things may have been. And I don't want to underemphasize that. Look, I know that we have walked through some difficult trials in life, but there is a beauty in leveraging those things to impact the world around us. Won't you join us? Won't you join us in that? Let's pray. Father, we just uh, come to you this morning, and, and we just ask for wisdom. Lord, help us to grow in our knowledge of you that in, in a love that both loves you and, and, and we're reverent and respectful of who you are and our positioning in you. Lord, help us to get to know our story. Will you, will you make us aware of, of what you've brought us through, the victories, the things that we've struggled through that we're now on the other side that we could leverage to really impact maybe even people in this room who are going through those difficult times. And Lord, Never let us settle to not engage. Move us to an uncomfortable place where we talk to people around us. We serve people. We care for people. So God, move in our hearts today. Convict us of the sin that we have in this area and restore us with your hope, with your love. And God, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ who has done for us what we could not. Amen.